Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. happy to be chatting here with Janine Puckett. She is the, I guess, author, administrator. She runs a website, a blog called deconstructionstories.com. And I saw right away when I looked at her blog that we have a mutual friend in common, David Hayward. So welcome, Janine, to Mindship Podcast. Thank you. Great to be yeah. here. Thanks for reaching out. We, you sent me an email, I guess it was maybe two, three weeks ago, and we were talking about you, your friends with some people that I've talked about on some of my bonus episodes, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get into later on. Okay. I'm really interested to hear about your work with this blog or website, The Deconstruction Stories. Why did you start it? What's your own backstory? And maybe kind of walk us through it. Okay. Well, I started the podcast, or not podcast, I started the website because I felt like there were a lot of people out there who would like to probably share their deconstruction story with the world, but they don't want to start a podcast or a YouTube channel or a blog. And so I thought these kind of folks just need a place where their information, their story can reside on the internet, someone that'll host for them. And so I kind of consider myself a curator of those Mm -hmm. stories. And at this point, we're just getting started very, very new, trying to get more people aware so that people will share. I've got Mm -hmm. one lady who's very excited to share her story. So we'll be getting that up soon. And a lot of the stories that are already on there are people who had already posted something online and I just linked to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so you asked about my story. I share it on the website. I was raised in an independent fundamental Baptist church. I'm familiar uh, with about, them. Are you? Okay. Oh, yeah. Steven Anderson, some of these other people. Yep. Oh, that name is not familiar but because it was a long time ago. Oh, um, I see. Right. Yeah. yeah we we started now. attending there in 1972. Wow. And I was involved in that church until 1991. So long time. I went to their Christian school from second grade all the way through 12th. Then I went to, of course, my dad was the music director. My mom was the principal of the school. I ended up going to Pensacola Christian College for four years. So that's another IFB bastion. Yes, it is. uh, Extremely fundamentalist. Very, very. Is and it Pensacola Bible College now? Is that what it's called? No, that, it's still called Pensacola Christian College. Um, right, so if, if it's the same place I'm thinking of, isn't it? It's even more fundamentalist than, say, Bob Jones University. Didn't they call Bob Jones out for being too liberal? P- they may of- have. <laughs> they may have. I think, I think Bob did. Jones, because of it's well-known, yeah. more visible, I think they're probably pressured into being a bit more clandestine with some of their ideas, mm-hmm. but the founders of Pensacola Christian College graduated from Bob Jones. Right. So, so it's kind of an offshoot. There. Yeah, there right. was. So yeah. you got that fundamentalist background. Mm-hmm. Right. So you continued so, on in this fundamentalist stream for oh, decades, yeah. really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Except that, you know, I had a rebellious period in the late 80s when mm. I uh, was in my last couple of years of college and on after that. 
found myself in a bisexual or relationship with a woman and um, was fired for that. That would do uh, it. From my Christian school where I was teaching. And um, yeah, that was a, a big deal. And uh, came back to my home, to my parents' home, and resumed immediately back into the religious background that I knew. And then in 91, I met a gentleman who was a charismatic believer and dated him for a short time. And of course, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit at that point. And oh, of course. Uh, so that, that's when my, it's interesting, that's when my IFB church kicked me out. Right. <laughs> that's when I became charismatic. That so, was even worse, huh? I mean, yeah. And uh, well, I think my parents kept the other kind of on the down low. Right. So but, it wasn't that uh, well known. Mm -mm. Yeah. So I changed churches and I went to a very small charismatic church in um, my hometown of Colorado Springs and enjoyed that very much. Ended up going to China to teach English as a tent making ministry, uh, mm -hmm. really to to try and be a missionary. And I was living on support for two years. I did that. And then everything just fell apart. And I, some things happened that were abusive that I didn't recognize as such at the time. And I ended up coming back from China just a couple of months early. I had been ill that year. I, my, both my grandparents had died and someone had really thrown me for a loop emotionally that was associated with the organization I was there with. And so I just, uh, I just, I called my organization. I said, you get me home or I may not make it till the end of the contract. So you were burning out and oh. yeah, you were, you've been abused and so forth. Yeah. You had to get out right. of there. Right. I did. And of course, you know, the way that this had occurred was that this person had grilled me for an hour over my relationship with the school officials, the Chinese uh, mm -hmm. school officials. I had no idea where he was coming from or why he was upset, why I felt the fingers pointing at me. And I just had no clue what was going on. And the very end of the hour, he said, well, you haven't been invited back by your school. And so we're not going to let you go to language school, which was my next step. I was going to be a career mm -hmm. missionary in China. And he said, he ended the conversation by saying, don't talk with anyone about this conversation. Don't That's talk sure with your marker. school officials. Don't yep. talk with your teammates. Don't tell anyone what we talked about. And I spent the next two weeks, we were still on a break. I think we had a couple of weeks. It was like the Chinese New Year yeah. holiday. And I spent those two weeks beating myself up, blaming myself, sure that I caused this. What have I done? God, how did I fail you that you have decided not to use me? That was, that was how I felt. And so I went back to my school, tried to teach. It was just the depression just became so heavy that I just got to the point where I just could not, I couldn't keep going. So I came back and returned to my church and somebody graciously and wonderfully suggested that I see a doctor and that I get some medication. I am grateful that there was someone who was, you know, not let us mm -hmm. pray for you, which they did too. But sure they the did. idea that, that they were willing to, you know, advise me to consider getting medical yeah. attention for the depression I was experiencing probably saved my life. 
Yeah, I was going to say a lot of evangelicals are dead set against any medications, aren't they? Right. So you're Absolutely. very fortunate. Oh, the, yeah. the background I came yeah. from was my parents were not uh, on board yeah. with me taking medication. They thought it was shameful that I couldn't just snap out of it. You know, what's wrong with your relationship with God that you and and if I had known then what I know now, I probably would have said, well, the God you have shown me is angry and and mad at me. So, what, me. you know, yeah, he's punishing me. So and now you got to find out what it is you've done to get it oh, right. I know. So and it was can... such a mystery. And it was yeah. years before I realized what had happened. And it was only from talking to one of my teammates that we realized that we had caused our dean of the English department to lose face in a way that we thought was not a big deal. But obviously it was. it was a huge deal. Yes. And, yeah. you know, there were a lot of personal feelings involved in that. And there was a relationship going on that wasn't supposed to be. And he was married. And so we were intervening on behalf of a teammate that was involved. with. Right. So, so you were doing uh, the right thing, though. You got punished for right. basically you got right. kicked to the curb because you yes. stood up for what was right. And right. of course, you're, you're taking it as a spiritual problem. Right. Done something but at spiritually the same time, now I look back on it and I think, oh, there's so many things I would have done differently if I could have done that over. I wouldn't absolutely. Have, I wouldn't have confronted my teammate right there while he was there. I would have been gentler and I wouldn't have been as judgmental because if if there's anything this deconstruction journey has taught me, it's that judgment is really the enemy of all of us, whether mm -hmm. it's self-judgment, judgment of others. And it's the biggest problem I think we face in the church Sure, is absolutely. the idea that we think we've got this book that tells us who we can judge and who we shouldn't judge or who we should accept into our fold, so to speak, and who we should reject. Mm -hmm. And uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Absolutely. Because absolutely. God accepts and loves every one of us as it's we are. Yeah, it's how you read the Bible. And I was just reading today in Frank Schaefer's book, Why I'm an Atheist Who Believes in God. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, it's I really haven't. good. I'm, I've been listening and am ready for <laughs> yeah. that podcast. But he made the point that you know, if you're looking into the Bible for justifications and for arguments and for positions, you're reading the whole thing wrong. That's mm. not what it's about. And that's what results in exactly what you're just describing. It so does. anyway, you come back home, you're doubling down, and but you got help, yeah. though. You, you well, like I got, you got medical help. help. Right. And then I got counseling help from the charismatic community I was a part of, mm -hmm. and they really did not have any idea what they were doing. Most of my counseling involved breaking vows I had made with myself, that concept of, well, I've, I've uh, made this vow, as they said, and therefore I have to renounce that in order to move forward. And yeah, I don't think any of it really did anything to help me. It's amazing, isn't it? That's one of the things I've come across in researching all the charismatic side of dominion theology. It's got to be somewhat related to that, isn't it? Things like generational curses, for example. Uh -huh. You hear exactly. that a lot. Somebody four, five, six generations ago in my family lineage did yeah. something. They owned mm -hmm. slaves, let's say, for example, or they were part of a, a Native American massacre or whatever. It, was. it could be anything. That curse is still affecting me and my family today according right. to this theology. Right. And, you know, <laughs> I believed that. I believed oh, that right into my marriage. And while I was engaged, 
um, this was 2005 that we got married. While we were engaged, I was concerned because his dad had been a 33rd degree Mason at one mm. point, or I guess he was invited to the 33rd degree and he didn't choose to go right. on, but he was, but he was very, and his grandfather and his grandmother had all been Masons or, yep. you know, his grandmother was in the well, I can't remember now what Whatever they call the, fe- the female, female side of it. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, this is a curse on the family. I, I believe be a generational that. curse. It's it was be. a generational curse. So we drove down to Colorado Springs. We live in Denver. We drove down to Colorado Springs. We went to the bookstore there at the biggest church in Colorado Springs. And a friend of mine, whom I respected very much, who was running this bookstore, recommended this book that would help us break these generational curses off my husband's so that they wouldn't come down to our children and our family. So we read the book and we prayed through these prayers and I figured we were good. My husband, who didn't grow up with any of this, he was Christian, but not like this, you know, Uh he unbeknownst to me was extremely affected by this idea that he was cursed. I had no no clue how this affected him and how it hurt him. And then as our marriage progressed, my family was, uh, well, I had always kind of been the, the oddball child, you know, I only have mm-hmm. one brother, but for some reason, my mom and my brother just kind of made up a group. And my dad and I were more similar, but my dad passed away six months after my marriage. And so I kind of was on the outside and he ended up on the outside too. And there were just a lot of things that happened that I'm only in the last few weeks, actually beginning to process as spiritual abuse experienced by my husband through my own beliefs that I brought with me, Mm -hmm. as well as my family. And Unfortunately, in uh, last year, because 2020, so it was 2019, the very beginning of the year, January 31st, he reached the point where he could not deal with the curse that he was under anymore. He had mentioned a few months, for a few months before this, that he was cursed. He knew he was cursed. There was nothing he could do about it. God was never going to like him. He would never be good enough. And he would never be have a successful life, no matter what happened. It was always going to be him against God. And I listened to this thinking, gosh, I have got to help him. Because now I had deconstructed. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't believe any of that anymore. And I thought, gosh, how can I help him understand that he is beloved of God and and that it's okay. Nothing. He's got no curses on Mm. him. There's none of this, but I could not get it. He could not hear any of it. And so on, uh, on that evening in January last year, he took his own life and, uh, yeah. So just only in the last couple of months have I begun to realize that he was a victim of spiritual abuse as well. And that really, truly, I believe spiritual abuse Absolutely. Was the impetus that ended up causing him to give up. And he could not shake it. This belief that he was cursed and tainted and God was against him. Right. I mean, that is not. such a sad story. I'm so sorry to hear about what you went, I mean, and are still going through, obviously. Sure. I don't even know what, there's no words, is there, to no. describe what you must be feeling? No. Man. 
but I, just, I, I'm angry yeah. at the belief system that produced such bullshit that your husband couldn't shake it off exactly. to the point where he thought the only way out is to end it. Right. My and God. of course, I have to deal with the feelings of guilt that I have about yeah. bringing all this into his life. And and I have to, you know, I'm beginning to see that this is the opportunity and opportunity for me to experience self-forgiveness mm-hmm. and non-judgment of myself because all we're all doing, I love Brene Brown. I love that she teaches that we're all just doing the best we can at any yeah. given moment. And we are. So, you know, I can say to that former self of mine, you were doing the best you could at the time. Yeah, we believed it. We absolutely yeah, believed it was true. Absolutely, for sure. They had Bible verses that they rolled out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the Bible says that God visits the sins of the children, right. parents and grandparents. So it's not yes. something that's not, it's made up out of whole cloth. No. There, and of course, I grew up with the Bill Gothard teaching. Oh, so did uh, I. Bill Gothard seminar. That was a big part of that, that fourth, yeah. third and fourth generation teaching and, uh, how to break those curses and Mm -hmm. bondages and that's the thing you're not even aware they exist you know no and yet like your husband unfortunately couldn't shake that Mm -hmm. and that's the the extreme example isn't it Mm -hmm. of what a person is going through he's that depressed and so full of anxiety i can't even imagine where he was at in terms of his own headspace what a horribly dark place and this yeah. is brought on by the church, the charismatic church. And charismatic not, I mean, even, church and, yeah. and some of the fundamentalism from me, too. Yeah. 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 Bill Gothard, he was no charismatic, oh. but yeah, I grew but, up under wow. his teachings as well. My parents were heavily involved in the host and hostess committee leadership. Okay. Battle. They yeah. went every single year. I started going when I was. So 30. did I. I was yeah. a teenager when I yeah. started going. Same here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we went every year for several years. And so, yeah, I was advanced raised... seminar and all of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I wasn't homeschooled, but I've met several oh, people. Yeah, who... I wasn't either. But I might as well have been. Yeah. My mom was the principal of the school I went to. <laughs> right. There was about 100 of us. Yeah, so. it was the, the next best thing to a homeschooling <laughs> yeah, environment. Yeah. Exactly. I say best in air quotes from their right. point of view. <laughs> Ideally, right. they want homeschooling. But if, if you have to go to a Christian school, I guess that's okay. You know, but man, what a toxic system. Mm -hmm. So you're now, you've got this website. I mean, what a story. You're trying to help people speak out and share their stories. Yeah. What do you find? Because I think people, well, I just think that the more people hear the commonalities Mm. between what they're going through and other people are going through or have gone through the more validated they feel. Because I know for me, when I first started deconstruction, I thought, there's no one in the world who understands what I'm going through. Yeah, I'm the only one. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. And then fortunately, I was quickly able to get involved in a Facebook group that involved a lot of us who were kind of going through the same thing. And we were, we were taking very small baby steps at that time. We were deciding, for example, to accept LGBT people, but we didn't think they were okay. So how do you do that? <laughs> but it, we He's tried to find a line where we could, we could be permissive of them without allowing them to maybe have full role in our church fellowships. And yeah, yeah. So. But it's a step in that direction, isn't it? You've got to work through those things, can't? 
Yeah. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah. You know, just flip a switch and, and just you're fine overnight. I mean, it takes years. I've found peeling back the layers of the onion. I mean, I'm yeah. even now still, the more people I talk to like you, it takes me back to my childhood, something I was working through the other day, just thinking as I talked to somebody about religious trauma syndrome, and I made the point and it kind of hit me what I was saying was that as a kid watching those films like A Thief in the Night and you know being oh, afraid of missing right. the rapture and the fear of hell and that kind yeah. of thing, praying the sinner's prayer thousands and thousands of times just to make mm-hmm. sure that is yeah. deeply, deeply traumatic to a child. Yeah, and as it a was. child, especially, you don't have the capacity to process it. Even it's it's certainly traumatic to adults, but for a child. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was telling someone at work the other day, you know, my parents spanked us. Corporal punishment was the thing. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. the Bill Gothard teaching, spare the rod, spoil the child, right. break the child's will, proclivity to sin. But the missing piece that I was telling this guy was that they were telling us that it was God's will that they were spanking us. That was what. Right. The oh, for sure. So on top of the physical pain and the actual abuse, as I see it now, they're adding on a piece that says, God is telling us that we have to do this. You've sinned against us and your and God too. Exactly. So I've got that whole piece to wrestle with as well. Right. I'm just being a normal kid, being naughty. Oh no, you're sinning against God and mm-hmm. you've got to be spanked until you cry. You know, that's yeah. deeply traumatic to a child. Yeah, it is. And the spankings for me went, and I'm sure for many of us, went far beyond spanking till you cry. Oh, I mean... I would be beating. bruised for weeks. Yeah, it was an actual yeah. beating. I would say it's physical and emotional abuse. abuse. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we started out, my husband and I, and we thought, okay, you know, we're going to spank our kids because we still believed that was God's oh, sure. way. God's design. But we'll only give them three swats and we won't use it any kind of board or, yeah, you know, belt and, and, um, we'll always pray with them after we thought that would make it better yep. somehow. My parents when actually did it too. that makes it totally worse yep. because then you're saying, God did this to you, right? You need to ask God to forgive you because you sinned against God. God yep. doesn't like Absolutely. you. God is sad because of what you did. Disappointed. Yep. And it, oh, it's, it's just, couldn't be further from the truth. God yeah. was disappointed in us. Yep. For doing I'm this a bad person. Children. Yeah. And again, as a child, you don't have, and you I believed it 100%. My parents, they're telling me it's the truth. The pastor of the church we went to was saying the same thing. Bill Gothard said the same thing, oh, yeah. you know, and my parents raised us according to his teaching. So, yeah, you know, and yet the, the ironic thing, I mean, I've shared this on other podcasts, but my mom, she was absolutely miserable in that system because she had to submit to her husband as unto the Lord under this umbrella of protection uh, model that Bill Gothard taught. And yet she was far more dominant of a personality and my dad was very passive. So he tried to be the spiritual leader that And that's a lot of pressure on them guys too. It is. He didn't fit that role. She didn't fit the submissive wife role, you know, so it was very miserable relationship. She was unhappy. She used to come to me as a kid and unload all of her problems onto me as a nine, 10 year old kid. So Mm -hmm. I've, I've got triangulation or what you want to call emotional incest. It's a terrible thing. So you throw those kind of things in there. Yeah, (laughs) It's a wonder I'm even normal today. I know. (laughs) I know how to, and someone say it's not true, you know, (laughs) Oh, well, so many layers. (laughs) 
yeah. we're all still growing and learning we're all messed up you know yeah, yeah. well we, i think we're so not as much. messed up as we want to think we are <laughs> that's one thing i've i've begun to realize in the last 10 years is that god is really okay with me just mm. as i am and if he is i can be too and if i can be okay with me and god's okay with me then i can be okay with you as you are no matter mm. where you are yeah When we get back from the break, we're going to delve a little bit more into Janine's belief system, or at least where she's at right now. It's really interesting because, of course, we're all in process. We're all on a journey, and so no one's really arrived. So there's a lot of learning, a lot of growing still to go. So we are going to get into that in the second half, as well as her involvement with the church where Dutch Sheets was the pastor. I'm not sure if he's still there now. Now you might be thinking, who is Dutch Sheets? Why does that name sound familiar? The reason it's familiar is because I talked about him a lot in my bonus episodes looking at the failed Trump prophecies. He's one of these charismatic so-called apostles and prophets who made some really bold, strong pronouncements about Trump winning re-election in 2020. This is the guy that went up to Pennsylvania to the headwaters of the Allegheny River, I believe just a day or two after election day back in November. And so I talked about him a lot. He's also had a bunch of bizarre dreams and visions. So that's the guy that we're going to talk about. She knows him, as it turns out, really all too well. But if it isn't clear by now, hopefully this episode is living up to its title, this whole issue of how toxic charismatic Christianity can be. I mean, it's a shocking, heart-rending, just a terrible story about what happened to her husband and all related to a theological belief system about generational curses. I mean, there's no words for it, really, is there? So yes, it's a toxic system, or it certainly can be. I just wanted to mention really quickly before we get back into the chat with Janine about what's coming up in the next few episodes, I had a chat the other day with Thomas Hanna, really fascinating guy. He's an ex-pastor like me. He's gotten completely away from all that now, and he's now a therapist out of Tampa Bay, Florida. And just reading from his website is really interesting. He's a licensed professional counselor, and his tagline is, I help people overcome religious trauma, PTSD, anxiety, and depression through quality online counseling that is rooted in science, not faith. And so that should tell you where Thomas is coming from in terms of his belief system. And we had a really good discussion about what it was like being a pastor, being in church ministry, being in church leadership, all the toxicity that goes around with not just being in ministry, but just being in churches or what can happen when you're in the midst of an evangelical church. Sometimes the most dangerous, unsafe places. Some of the worst treatment I've ever had was at the hands of my fellow Christians when I was in the evangelical scene. So that's a really good conversation with Thomas. But before that episode with Thomas drops, I've got a bonus episode coming out next week. I had a chat with Dr. Yanya Lalich the other day. We had a really interesting conversation all about the Nexium cult, about Keith Raniere, which of course has been in the news at the last end of 2020 and into 2021 with his trial and some of the other people that were close associates of him. People were like lieutenants at the top of that cult. And so what's happening there? Fascinating conversation with Dr. Yanya Lalich. And we also talked about cult psychology and recovery from controlling religions or religions with undue influence. So beyond just talking about Nexium, which is a fascinating topic in and of itself, there's also helpful resources if that describes you at all. So 
Those are the next couple episodes coming out. I just wanted to mention, too, that if you want to help support this show on Patreon, the links, as always, are in the show notes to the MindShift Patreon page. You can get a hold of me in terms of social media. Find me on Twitter at MindShift2018. You can also like the MindShift Podcast Facebook page. And in fact, I've just recently put up the last Zoom call that we had with Rebecca Drumsta. So head over to the MindShift Podcast Facebook page. While you're there, like the page. And you can watch not only the video with Rebecca, but also the one we had with Jared Yates Sexton earlier in the month of January. We've got some really cool guests lined up for February. And these are only closed calls that people that support the show on Patreon have access to. We've got Dean Crosets of the People I Meet podcast, as well as Seven, who is the rapper from Jacksonville, Florida, that I spoke with a few weeks back. So we've got some fantastic guests lined up in February. And then in March, we're going to have Thomas Hanna. He's going to be an excellent guest, I think, as we're going to get into all kinds of stuff. I'm sure we'll talk about religious trauma syndrome and the therapy that he does, the clients that he sees mostly coming out of religion. So great guests in February as well as in March for those closed MindShift Zoom calls. All right, let's get on back into the chat with Janine Puckett. I want to hear more about her kind of belief system, where she's at now, and then we're going to get into what happened when Dutch Sheets came to town just as a member of the little church that she was a part of in Colorado. So let's finish this talk about exactly how it is that certain charismatic theologies can be so toxic and why it's so important to learn to forgive yourself too. It's amazing you still have some faith in a God because of course a lot of people have gone down that line and said, look, I'm not only am I not a Christian, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'm done with the whole thing. So, I And you know, that, that may just be incomplete that. deconstruction on my part. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to land. I can't say journey. I'm, yeah. yeah, I can't say I'm completely there. I've listened to some things and read some things even in the last few weeks that have made me feel like, well, mm. I don't know. But <laughs> I know one thing. I know love is real. Mm, that's true. And if I can just say God is love and love is God, then I can still believe in that God. You can hold on to that. I can hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be the only God I end up with, but that is real. There's something there. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think that too many times, certainly like in the atheist community, there mm-hmm. are some who can be very, as you say, judgmental. Right. And I remember years ago hearing an atheist just destroy a woman for her belief in crystals. She That's what she was mm-hmm. into. And this oh, guy, okay. he just took her to task on the whole thing. It's all a bunch of BS and his science is disproven. The metaphysical gets thrown in yeah, with, this, and with all like, of it mm-hmm. look man yeah. what she believes that's her thing i'm not gonna tear her apart because that's what she believes in it's 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 made some meaning in her life that's so right. why do we have to you know and i said i still walked away from that encounter i said that reminds me exactly of of encounters i had with other christians in the church absolutely where somebody just blasted me for their quote unquote truth and I yeah. was wrong and I needed to be corrected and shown the right way. And I walked away feeling about an inch high and a complete failure. And so that's this guy. He's an atheist, though. He did the same thing to this poor woman. Yeah, so atheistic no dogma as opposed exactly. to religious dogma. Be, yeah, you could be just, just as fundamentalist. Dogma. Exactly. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. that's fundamentalism as an atheist. So mm-hmm. what changes in that regard? Nothing. It's just the beliefs right. have been exchanged for whatever, you know. And so, we get back to that idea of judgment. 
Yeah. You know, and I've even, what really changed everything for me, I went through this thought process. I don't know how I did this, but I thought I, at the time, I still believed in the literal interpretation of the book of Genesis and probably the rest of the Bible. But I was thinking about the Garden of Eden, that story that we all know so well, Adam and Eve in the garden. And God said, don't eat from that tree. And they ate from the tree. And that meant they sinned. And so since they sinned, God had to punish them. And then he had to kill his own son and all of this. And so Mm -hmm. this is this is what we're given right from church basically. Yep. Uh, Christianity, that's basic Christianity, oh, yeah, basic no matter theology. what denomination you are. Well, I began to think about the name of that tree. And we think of it as the tree of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but whatever it is, we end up with that good and evil being the emphasis in our minds. And so since Adam and Eve wanted to be as God, they wanted to know good and evil. So they ate the fruit and now they had sinned. So now all of a sudden we've shifted from the good and evil to the sin. This idea comes in at that moment. That's the ori- origin of sin. Yep, and yet sin. my thought process is it's not about sin. It's about knowledge. And not necessarily that we're talking about knowledge that is empirically truth or error. All of a sudden... Whether you want to say this is literal, I don't believe it it was anymore. I think it's a metaphor for us to understand the human condition. But at that moment, we became our own judges. Hmm. God was our judge before that. He said, what did he say when he made the earth in this metaphor? He said, it's all good. Yeah, you're good. all good. Everything's good. Yeah, I put you in there naked, of course, because you're good. Look at that body I gave you. It's it's perfect for you. And then we take in some new knowledge and we become our own judges and we say, well, we're not good. Our body is is naked. We need to put something over ourselves. And God comes to the garden and he says, who told you you were naked? Not who told you you were naked, but, <laughs> right. but who told you that? Right. That's not true. He didn't say that maybe in the Bible, but he was thinking, oh, you ate that fruit. Now you're judging yourself. And they immediately started judging each other started blaming right Mm -hmm. in that first conversation yeah they're blaming everybody right and and so the judgment came in to the picture metaphorically literally whatever you want to say and we've been doing it ever since Mm. so if we are to return to the thinking that god started us off with we say god is the judge. And he says, I'm okay. Hmm. So I'm okay. And it's really hard for us to do that because we say, well, what about murder? What about Hitler? What about, you know, people throw these things out. My feeling is that if we lived in a place where no one judged each other, there wouldn't be murder. There wouldn't be Hitler. There wouldn't be genocide. There wouldn't be racial division because there wouldn't be a need for it. 
It'd be a different in our world own, for sure. In our own hearts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to come as close to that in my life as I can. I've got so far to go. But yeah, we need to, to learn to stop being so hard on ourselves and each other and start so true. accepting, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot agree more. It's a big piece of the reconstruction, I think, because something I learned in the first couple, probably three or four or five years, I was so angry walking away from the church because I had invested so much of my adult life, all of my adult life, time and money and resources. And Mm -hmm. like you, you went to China, you were a missionary. We spent all these years and, and how many tens of thousands of dollars and you know, whatever, to get to where we thought we needed to be educationally, academically, whatever it was, career-wise, yeah. only to have it all fall apart when we walked away. That's mm-hmm. a lot to work through. But I've realized, yeah, I can't be so hard on myself because, as you said, I was doing what I thought I needed to do at the time, and I still use a lot of the academic skills that I learned even in Bible college and seminary, you can right. still do critical thinking. You can still write an academic paper. You can still, you know, where did you go to nothing. school? Uh, I went to school in Portland. I went to Bible college there and I went to seminary. You learned there. critical thinking there. <laughs> well, to no, a point, I'm not yeah. joking. You learned critical thinking in college. Shocking. I did not learn critical thinking in college. Well, to a point. I mean, we were, I see now we were within a framework though, because when I was doing my PhD uh-huh. over here in the UK, I applied the same types of sort of critical thinking in air quotes to my thesis and my mm-hmm. supervisor, which it's, yes, it was a theology department, but it was a very liberal Church of England. I mean, we had a Muslim on the staff. We had a, one of the guys was gay. He was a Christian, you know, and it was okay. so very, very different. Yeah. Um, and he called me out on a lot of my sort of presuppositions that I wasn't seeing. And that helped me a lot in my deconstruction because he would say, now, wait a minute, why did you make that particular fairly dogmatic statement? And I thought, well, that's just the way I used to write when I was in seminary and everybody accepted it. In fact, even required you to write and speak that way. Oh, yes. I can't tell you how many times "Ah, I was told, don't write, it crossed out on my papers. I believe. If I wrote, Mm -hmm. I believe, those, yep. those were crossed out every time. And it was, you stated as fact. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was the kind of stuff I was making pretty dogmatic statements, you know, and yeah. he would say, wait a minute, you can leave that in if you want, but just know that you're going to have to fight a battle somewhere over that. And mm-hmm. that's what started me thinking, wow, wait a minute, I'm really holding on to a lot of stuff here. And that's when I learned, I guess, critical thinking from, the, the most wide points of view as possible. Look at the argument from as many angles of vision as you can. And one of those was my old one and I found it was lacking. So right. I had to start walking away from it, you know? So that was a good uh, sort of a very rigorous academic process, but it made my faith fall apart sort of in the end. Yeah. It was the last vestiges that I had left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But now I was thinking now we were talking about, okay, Genesis, maybe this is a, a segue now mm-hmm. because we talked a little bit about before we hit record about a little bit into dominion theology. You have a background right. with some of the people that I've been talking about in my bonus episodes. The right. reason I bring up Genesis is of course, Genesis one twenty six through 28. That is the dominion mandate that God oh, told okay. Adam and Eve that they should have dominion have over dominion. the earth. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get their original sort of starting point, their jumping off point. Mm-hmm. And so you have some connections in that world as well. I'm interested to hear what your backstory is in terms of that. 
Right. Okay. So that little church that I joined in Colorado Springs, the Charismatic Church, it was indeed a small church and everybody was very close. And then while I, I believe it was while I was in China or maybe it was, I think it was while I was there, someone new moved to town and became a member of our church in order to write his first book. And that was Dutch Sheets. And he, he was not pastoring at that time. He was just writing his first book on prayer, intercessory prayer. And at the same time that he was not a pastor, he was being called upon to preach in our pulpit a lot because mm-hmm. he was he was a very good teacher, you know, and, and we all enjoyed hearing what he had to say and it was it was good. At one point I expressed some concern to my pastor, the actual pastor of the church, and I said, I, I, it feels like things are shifting. You know, and he said, Mm -hmm. he said to me, I'm not going to say his name, but he said, Janine, God will not let anyone take this church from us. Famous last words. It was. How many times have you heard that one? (laughs) It was. Because while I was in China, my second year, the church split and that pastor took a group of congregants to another place and started a different church and dutch became the church the pastor of the church that i was part of yeah, the remnant yeah and then i came back and i was expected to choose and remember the place i was in emotionally i was yeah, already ripped in shape. half yeah so now my church was ripped in half and i i just went with the default i stayed with the same church you know this is the church that supported me while i was in china i'm going to stay with them mm-hmm. so i ended up in Dutch's church and while i was there other people that he knew from christ for the nations institute in dallas had come up cindy jacobs and several other people had moved to Colorado Springs, which was now becoming known as the Christian Mecca. Oh, and, yeah. you got um, focused on the family. Oh, yeah. So Mega many. Mega ministries out of Colorado Springs. Yeah, prayer church ministries. And, yeah. Huge. Yeah. So while I was trying to get healed and not successfully, <laughs> yeah. um, Dutch became more and more well-known. And he began to, he had always, from before the time I knew him, he had been really burdened with the nation the United States. He wanted revival in this country so bad that he had prayed hours and hours and hours. He would share from the pulpit how he had prayed for revival in this nation. And of course, at that time, I mean, revival to me was people getting saved, right? Lots and lots and lots of people getting saved. Yeah, that would like be a, a great awakening. Yeah, yeah like the great awakening. Exactly. What I didn't realize, and it started to shift in the late 90s was that it was becoming this idea of, well, we need to reclaim the arts for God. We need to reclaim Mm -hmm. government for God. And we didn't call it dominion theology. We didn't have any mountains mandate. We didn't know those. Yeah, we didn't know those words. But we were trying to, and we would do prayer walks and we would do confession things. I have a relationship to the Mayflower. My my uh, Miles Standish is a distant cousin. So I ended up in one of those Cindy Jacobs things where, you know, we repented for all that. Not that the Mayflower really had a lot to do with it. It was Yeah, what did they do? What did the Puritans people. do? <laughs> but yeah, this idea that we, you know, we sinned against the Native Americans and so yeah. we need to repent to them. And I think that's all got a good place, but I don't think it belongs in the church. 
you know, mm-hmm. not now, sure. but I did at the time. And so, yeah, we, we, we did all these things to try and break the curses over. Here we go with that word again. Generational curses. curses. Over our nation. Right. And reclaim the nation for God. And Dutch became very close to someone who was a senator at the time. It became his personal spiritual advisor, but a national senator. And he got more and more involved in D.C. and that D.C. politics and when the whole thing happened between the election in 2000, between Bush and Gore, I remember Dutch sending out letters and saying, you've got to pray, pray, pray. We're going to fast for these many days. We're going to pray mm-hmm. for Bush that he gets elected. We've got to, you know, and then when the whole election was in turmoil, we had to pray that through, right? We had to pray Demonic Bush into attack. the White House. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had to. Yeah, because and his I remember him making a prediction that if Bush got into the White House, it would be 30 years that we would be protected from God's wrath on our nation. Then there would be 30 years, years. almost, yeah, almost as if we'd have 30 years of Republican presidents and administration, (laughs) you know? Okay. And uh, yes. Oh, and I was, I would go home and tell my parents, they thought I was nuts because they were still IFB, you know, but I, I thought, gosh, you know, I'm on the cutting edge. Yeah, of, the vanguard of, here. Oh, yeah. We are going to take this nation for God. And I had no idea what I was thinking or saying. And, of course, Cindy Jacobs was up there every other week prophesying. They would tag team. They would have – and, oh, we couldn't get enough. It was like a drug. Oh, yeah. It was like it a drug. You go, you have an hour and a half of intense worship, and then you have two hours of intense prophecy, and then you have another hour of worship. And nobody wants to go home. It was very addictive. Very intense, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you got to come back the next week to do it again. Exactly. So it is you an addiction, keep isn't it? doing it. It is an yeah, addiction. Yeah, it really is. It so is such addiction. an addiction. And then the 9-11 thing happened, and now we had to pray through that, and those curses that caused that. and There's always and, something, isn't there? Yeah. It, there's, <laughs> there's always, always something new. You know, even yeah. though Bush got into the White House, there was always something. And then there was the war that started in Afghanistan. And I remember this is when start, things started to fall apart for me in terms of the charismatic church, because we went after I can't remember if it was after the Afghanistan war started or if it was in that maybe couple of week, three, four week interval between 9-11 and when Bush sent the troops in uh, the first time. But there was one of these prophetic meetings and Cindy and Dutch and Chuck Pierce were all there. They were all local Colorado Springs folk. And I remember Chuck Pierce had a really big prophecy about the war that was coming and how it was going to last 14 years. It would be divided in two sections of seven, seven years of this and seven mm-hmm. years of that. And he had all this worked all out. out. And now we look back and that did not happen. We're still involved in that yeah, conflict in absolutely. 2020. It's been almost 20 years. Yeah. Since so where's his prophecy happened. now? Yeah, exactly. And so listening to your talk, them talking <laughs> about all this with the most recent. It's election, all coming back. Yeah, they've got to find a way, you know, and, and when I, I went to Japan in 99, 2000, uh, again, as a missionary, and I heard a prophecy that Cindy had made that before the year 2000, the emperor of Japan would be openly a Christian. 
Okay. Obviously, that did not happen. Didn't happen. Maybe he's a yeah. secret Christian. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. And so, you know, I began to think about that prophecy and others that had been made and thinking, and even some of the smaller ones. There was a lady who prophesied regularly at our church, and she one day she's unknown to most people, but she had a couple come before her. And this was a couple that had been in our church for a long time and they were childless and they had wanted a child for so long. And this woman prophesied that they would have a child within a year. And I cannot imagine what they must've gone through during that year. Thinking how they, what had they done wrong that God didn't fulfill this prophecy because that year came and went and they never had a child. And to my knowledge, they never did. And uh, I just can't even begin. And and that prophecy right there, that one was enough for me to say, I'm done. I can't keep going to this church because this, this is abusive. And I didn't even know what spiritual abuse was, but I thought this is wrong. You'd experienced so much of it. You'd experienced so much of it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was reading in Jeremiah at that time. And I was reading these verses about prophets and false prophets. And some of the verses you've spoken about on the podcast Mm -hmm. recently. And I thought these people are making false prophecies and then they're giving excuses for it or they're changing it in retrospect. And that's, that's not the way it works. If these people were hearing from God for certain, yeah, for real, they'd be right Absolutely. every single time. So I actually yeah. confronted someone about that. And I said, uh, you know, I can't continue to go to the church because of this. And she said, well, we're only human. Yeah, but and you're I claiming thought, yeah, to be that's prophets. The point. You are only <laughs> yeah. human and you're speaking from your human humanness, not from God. Right. You're saying you're speaking from God. Mm-hmm. Well, these names that you've been dropping, I mean, these names have been on my radar for a long time now because right. my path to it was I started out with Christian Reconstructionism. So you got mm-hmm. the RJ Rush Doonies and all that crowd. But mm-hmm. then out of that, I think grew the charismatic side, which is that yeah. seven mountains mandate. And mm-hmm. exactly as you're saying, when they talk about revival, it's not, as you say, about converting one or two or three people for every Christian. It's about gaining political and uh, other forms of power. power. It's to, very power centered. Yeah, to basically yeah. form a kind of a theocracy over yeah. America. So Dutch Sheets came on my radar screen right away when I started researching the Seven Mountains crowd. Because, mm-hmm. of course, he's a big name in that field, along with right. Cindy Jacobs, Lance mm-hmm. Wall, now Chuck Pierce. And these are some mm-hmm. of the names that I've obviously talked about in my, because they all predicted that Trump was going to win in 2020. Right. And now yeah, they're all my mind. <laughs> so it your, really your ex-pastor, Dutch Sheets... Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you thought of when you heard about me telling about how he went to Pennsylvania and dug a hole and buried stuff. He's at been the doing river. that stuff for what a very hell? long time. But you Has know what? He? You used a word. Yeah. Since I was in the church, he oh, was really? doing that sort of thing. I thought yeah. it was a new thing. No, no. He's been. And so when he, when you described what he was doing, I thought, yeah, that sounds about right. Right. Until you weren't surprised you at all. used a word that I'd never heard used to describe it, and that was magic. And yeah, it I is. thought it is. It's like Harry it Potter is type like stuff. Magic. And yeah. I never saw it that way until you said that because, yeah, it's 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 Christian magic. Yeah, I mean, is. imagine a sane, rational person who knows nothing about any of this, and you mm-hmm. tell them, "I'm going to go to the headwaters of a river." Dig yeah. a hole in the riverbank, bury a bunch of highly symbolic items, right. and they all have spiritual significance in a hole. Mm-hmm. 
somehow the results of that are going to magically flow downstream and affect an election result in a city miles and miles away. That's insanity. And, and it's total magical after thinking. after those votes have already been cast. Yeah. So somehow it's going to go retroactively yeah. back in time and change. Come on. The, uh, and yet, outcome. as you say, this is par for the course. And yeah. what these so-called prophets, that's what they're saying. That's what they're doing. And of course, they're amplifying the conspiracy theories. My thought on it now is I think their end game is to be able to say, well, well, part of it is they can blame the church. They've, I've heard some say the problem was the church was asleep. We told you to go out and vote. We knew that Biden was going to win if the church didn't vote. And it's your fault, actually. It's not God's fault, and it's certainly not our fault. So That's now this gives them that they've yeah, got gives this whole group scapegoat. of people to point, and it's a nebulous group. Oh, so yeah, it you is. know, we don't have a particular person that can actually say, "Hey, wait a minute, no, I was actually on my knees." You know, mm-hmm. you've got you're pointing at a nebulous group that can't yep. defend itself. And there's no accountability, is there? Because mm-hmm. They're not accountable to a body or even a denomination. In some cases, they're all loosely affiliated with groups and organizations and apostolic prayer networks all over the country. And they go to each yeah. other's churches, as you say. This mm-hmm. is a big thing. They, they haven't been able to do a lot of it since COVID lockdown. But now, of course, they're moving to online conferences and things, aren't they? I guess so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I That's remember being doing. involved in one conference uh, years ago on the worship team, but I was only ever at one. And I had heard yeah. it all because it was my pastor and yeah. these people. Well, so. Yeah, they had yeah. a big one in Arizona right before the lockdown. They had one, um, Kanye West was there and Cindy Jacobs was speaking and they had a huge crowd of something like 60,000 people, most of whom obviously came to see Kanye West because he had just come out with this gospel album. And he's allegedly a Christian now or something. I don't know. So that's the new thing. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating to watch this stuff develop and roll out. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on it. So I'm glad that we're able to talk yeah. about it. You've got this insider's perspective. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's a former insider. I've, I've been <laughs> out of it for a, quite a, a while. Long time. And I, but I still have friends from that community who are friends on Facebook and so forth. And been jaw-dropping some of the things that I've seen on their timelines after the election surprise shock that their guy didn't win and anger oh some real anger yeah one dear dear friend of mine i love her i really do she wrote on there i hope you're all happy now i hope you all get the handouts you voted for and i thought wow really i was voting for a handout i didn't even know that well, you better you better collect, Janine. <laughs> I know, right? No, well, and- I, I voted for what I considered the moral choice. Yeah. I voted for sanity and yeah. um, freedom for my kids, both of whom are LGBT, as, as am mm. I. I voted for, yeah, for, for goodness, for sanity to yeah. return to this nation. Yeah. That's true. But he's pro he's he's pro abortion and that's the that's the ultimate ace card, isn't it? Trump is yeah, pro life. So the, you know, yeah. this is something that Sam Perry said on our Zoom call the other day. The abortion card, that is the ultimate card that evangelicals can always play in yeah. their view. It wins every argument because yeah, but he's pro choice and so we cannot vote for a guy like Biden. I couldn't vote for a Hillary Clinton. I had to vote for Trump both elections because he's pro life, allegedly. Yeah. 
So most pro-life and, and really, honestly, say. what do pro-lifers and, you know, I can't really say where I stand on that issue. I'm still working that one out yeah. because it has been ingrained so deeply in us. And oh, sure. my husband and I had fertility issues for a long time and we wouldn't even do IVF because we were afraid it was tantamount to abortion if we didn't use all those embryos. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. I'm not sure yet where I stand, but I have no problem voting for someone who supports abortion if the bulk of what they stand for is goodness and helping people. And I mean, the same people who want us to ban abortion also want us to cut the welfare rolls. So Mm -hmm. we're forcing a woman to have a child that she's not prepared to have. And then we're going to not give her any assistance after yeah, she has when the baby's child. born. Yeah. And these are the same people that are walking into churches without wearing masks and no social distancing. I mean, there was a pastor yeah. in Michigan just the other day. There was a story. I don't know if you saw it, but he was telling his congregants, look, let's just catch COVID. Let's get it over with and be done with this thing. You know, and there, he's holding these church services, no masks, no social distancing. So they could catch it, spread it, bring it home to their loved ones who could then die. These are the pro-life crowd who are spreading this pandemic. It's insane. And yet they'll vote for Trump because he's (laughs) pro-life. Come on. Really? Right. Crazy. As we're winding this up, remind people then where they can find your website. What's the address again of your website and how they can find you on social media? Okay. It's deconstructionstories.com. And all of our social media links are right up there in the upper right-hand corner. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't have a lot up yet, but we're, we're working through You're it. And there. if anyone is interested or would, would like to share their story, they can go to the contact page and it'll tell you just how you can share that. If it's, if it's a story that's already on the internet, we'll just link to it. You can just share the link with us. If it's something that you want to write up yourself or you want to make a video or an audio recording, we'll house that for you, you know, give it a place on the internet so you can do that free of charge. And yeah, we just want as many people to be able to share their story and access other stories as want to. It sounds great. I'm super glad to be helping to promote your website. It sounds like a fantastic project. And I hope that people who listen to this episode will then head over to your blog and actually post up, write, comment, and get involved in the community. So thanks so much, Janine. I'm oh, so glad you, that we Clint. met. Yeah, yeah I've had a fantastic too. conversation. Yeah. We'll have to do this again. We'll have to circle back around. We'll, we'll talk about Dutch Sheets again. Maybe we'll do a special episode just on just on Dutch Sheets <laughs> and all the weird crap that he's buried over the years. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what all he's buried <laughs> over the years. It's or... like a treasure hunt. We'll go find yeah. his buried stuff. <laughs> all right, thank you so much, Janine. Thank you. 